Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview the guitar player from the popular group Morbin, based out of Chicago, Danny Rabin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Danny Rabin with us. There we go. Hey, Great. how you doing, Andy? Thanks. Well, can you tell the people about yourself, where you're from, etc.? Uh, yeah, I'm the guitarist in the band Marbin, along with uh, Danny Markovich. Uh, Rabin, Markovich, Marbin, or Markovich, Rabin. That, that's, that's where the whole thing comes from. Um, and yeah, I'm from Israel originally. Moved to the States when I was about 18 to went to Berkeley. After that, moved to Chicago with Danny and started touring full speed. And here we are now talking. <laughs> so you met him at Berkeley? No, Danny didn't go to Berkeley. Danny was in the IDF uh, being a badass commando. Uh, but I went to school and then we met right after in Israel. We started a band. We met, uh, we met maybe one day before our first gig. Uh, we in a, in a rehearsal we had a bass player that we both grew up with friend and that introduced us and um, yeah we just had this click immediately uh, this was right after I graduated and we started writing music together playing a ton of shows and then decided to move to Chicago together and start this thing that we're still in I don't know like 15 years later I mean you guys are always on the road always working so that's one thing yeah. I respect you guys for and Thank you. Yeah, we did seventy shows in twenty twenty. It was it was difficult. <laughs> it did more than most people, I must say. Yeah, yeah. Because usually we're at like about two hundred shows a year, but uh, this year we just did like backyards of our fans. We did what we could to just you know somehow make it work. <laughs> That's like I said. So first of all, how did you get that going? Did you have a problem with setting those shows up? Um. Yeah. Super shredder events. Uh, yeah, there, there were. Uh, well, what happened was we we when COVID started, we had like so many shows canceled. Like I don't even know how many hundreds. Uh, you know, like we had we were totally booked. Um, and there was this one moment. I think it was we were waiting out, waiting it out in the lockdowns, and then there was this one festival in Idaho in July or July 2020 and we're like there's no way they're going to cancel this one it's like in the middle of Idaho out and then when they cancel it like, all right we got to we got to figure something out so we just started posting on Facebook like to our fans we have a huge following on Facebook and we just wrote like who wants to have us in their backyard to play for their family and friends and just we got hundreds of people just writing us me 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 and we just started direct messaging them and then hooking up tours where we were playing every night and it turned out to be Awesome, and then we just did it. Me and Danny as a duo, uh, playing standards. That that album that you just heard uh, that just came out is actually we got the idea. We've been playing gypsy jazz and stuff like that for years, but we you got the tell idea about the album. You know, yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it was just us playing acoustic jazz as a duo, guitar and saxophone. And people liked it so much, and we had such a good time playing it that uh, you know we just did more and more of it. We actually just got back three days ago. We did two and a half weeks of just that again, and uh, we did six Marvin shows, full pan shows, 
some festivals, uh, and we had, it was awesome actually. All of our shows were sold out because people were so excited to get out there now. And then after that, we just dropped off our rhythm section in Chicago and kept going uh, down south to play gypsy jazz shows. How many people were showing up on average to these shows? Uh, well, the capacities were a little bit lower in the clubs, but some people just don't give a fuck anymore. Uh, we were we were in uh, <laughs> we were playing a show in Ohio, uh, or no, sorry, in Pennsylvania, in uh, Skull. I always forget the name. It was Scully Haven, something like that, close to Lancaster, Ohio, like middle of the state, and we were in a barn that was like closed, and there must have been seven hundred people there. Uh, shoulder to shoulder, just like, you know, Apache style, just doing it. Uh, and we were, I mean, it was awesome. It's like playing a rock show, you know, but we were like playing fusion, but uh, they loved it. And I don't know, it's been three weeks and there is not a, there's not a pile of bodies on the news in Pennsylvania, so it must have worked out somehow. <laughs> You're trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? Yes, you see. <laughs> I guess get slicker and saying. slicker. Yeah, yeah. You're okay. I'll give you guys that. <laughs> well, nobody shut you guys down. No police, no No, protests, I, mean, now, no I mean, things are much more open now than they were a few months ago. People are getting vaccinated. We're vaccinated, you know. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I mean, most of the people there were like in their early 20s. So it, it, it's not, uh, you know, if we were... If we were playing uh, a year ago at senior citizen facilities, I think it would be a different story. Uh, but for, <laughs> for the most part, you know, uh, now it's it's all, it's all right. Okay, so tell the people <laughs> about the album, the name of it, et cetera. <laughs> uh, Fernway? Fernway is uh, it's a German word. Uh, German German's a very romantic language that I don't speak, but I hear it. I hear about it. But uh, they, they say that it's an untranslatable translatable word, and it means to be homesick for a place you've never been to. So Danny came up with that. That's too poetic for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, I think so, when you're playing music like that from almost 100 years ago, there's something, and gypsy jazz, you see it a lot. I mean, we're not that extreme, but... Some people really play the music and also play the play dress up. <laughs> There's a lot of like, you go to these clubs and you see these dudes with the pencil mustache and like the old suits. Like you know, they look like they're out of that era too physically. We don't do that, um, but uh, yeah, I think that that's a real thing with jazz. People listening to even Miles Davis or kind of blue and that era you're almost like nostalgic for that time for that kind of new york for that kind of era but you've never you, you know it from movies and albums you know you don't know what it was like so i think fernway is really the, the name is, is is to describe that thing that you're longing to some for something that you've never really been a part of but you feel like you have okay you know how many days did it take for you to record this Mm. Well, okay, so we did this this whole project we did in like everybody in their own home studio. So I did, there's three acoustic guitars on that album, one upright bass and one saxophone. So I did all the guitars here in this room. And for me, it didn't take very long. And then Danny and John took longer, Danny especially, he has a little girl, so 
to coordinate this, the quiet time in his house, I think is, is more of a challenge than like just me being here uh, rocking it. But for me, I could, I could pretty much get through an entire song in a day. Uh, and there's 10 songs on the album. So, you know, uh, uh, we've done a lot of albums and I, I, I don't have problems playing with a click track. So recording the rhythm guitars, which in gypsy jazz, that's really what makes gypsy jazz, gypsy jazz more than anything else. Replacing the drums with just those La Pomp rhythm guitars that just emulate kind of a snare drum swing thing, that thing with the chords. So that was basically just one pass uh, every time. So I would just make a stereo pair of those rhythm guitars and that would be the basis for these standards. And uh, Honestly, the intros and the outros, I would just kind of improvise them and then like double track them and that would be that. Uh, we, we, never, we didn't arrange anything. We just kind of played through it. Uh, and then the solos, you know, I take a few passes and the only thing is that I recorded a third rhythm guitar after Danny recorded his saxophone solos to kind of be more interactive with that. So it's not a typical jazz album. I mean, a lot of the Marvin albums, we all were just in a room with separation and recorded all together. But this one was just uh, done that way. So the fact that you lay down three guitar tracks with just a timer, I mean, a metrodome, mm -hmm. makes it far more impressive, at least to me, from the <laughs> studio at home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, man, I mean, man, I remember the first Marvin record in 2009. I felt like there was a conspiracy in the control booth because my time was so shitty. Like, I could, in my mind, I could play so in time. You know, I could, I was, I was Dennis Chambers, like on the guitar in my mind. But, but like, you know, then I would, I would hear what it sounded like against the click and look at it on Pro Tools where some, some of my notes were ahead, some were behind. It was just like a mess, you know? And uh, I was just shocked because I, it sounded in time to me too when I played it, but when I listened to it, it sounded so fucked up. And uh, you know, I, and then I would, I just realized, like, man, I have low awareness. It's like time is not just physical. It's not just like playing with a metronome. When you practice that, that's kind of like running with a person, and you know, not falling behind or running past them. That's not very hard to do after you get it. But playing in time isn't like running with a person. It's like dancing with a person, you know? And it's like, that's, that's the thing. That's like, there's a whole other dimension of it, of like, you know, being graceful, being, you know, accompanying, pulling, pushing, and like doing all these things that, you know, this, this thing just doesn't tell the story. And it's very hard to like, play a part that once you take that scaffolding away, it doesn't collapse, you know, or you, you're providing pocket, you know, you're just wrapping up the music in something. It's very hard to explain, hard to explain. And you, you, need, you need to get it, you need, you need to just have a defining moment with like just eating so much shit that you're like, I am going to work on this. <laughs> no, I fully understand, sadly, but... <laughs> Hopefully the people listening do understand it also, but in that case, so who do you listen to normally when you perform? The bass player or the drummer? Who do you rely on? Um, yeah, I mean, I, so yeah, time. Well, first of all, the worst is to play with somebody who's relying on somebody, right? It's I like, agree. because, I mean, it's almost like... Uh, <laughs> 
reminds me, there's a Mitch Hedberg joke when he, he's talking about wearing a turtleneck and a, and a backpack and he's saying like that that's like having a midget trying to pull you down, like midget on your shoulders trying to pull you down. And, and I always think about that when I have a bassist who's leaning on me, you know, because, and in the studio you solo a track and if all of a sudden the feeling of the groove just disappears, it went from like, you know, you bobbing your head to like this boom, 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 like this pocketless, just notes in space. That's what I always think, random notes in space, like somebody who doesn't get it. And again, it could work. All the 70s are basically that, except for like, you know, some R&B stuff when you're looking, listening to rock bassists, they, they have zero groove. If you isolate their tracks, it's just like, doom, 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 din, doom, boom. But that's boom, because boom, they had but, to sing more. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. The whole groups back then, every single person except for the drummer was expected to be a vocalist. Right. So right. that's why the bass players weren't doing anything crazy. Well, I mean, there's, but you know, you still have some groovy basses. Like the guy from Led Zeppelin, you can actually hear that he's grooving. You know, there's there the some... Johnson brothers were grooving. I mean, yeah, it, it exists. Yeah, they exist. But I'm just saying that's why some, as much as I love the Eagles, some of their bass lines are pretty dull. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even if like, you know, they were played by a bad motherfucker, they would be like, you know, they, they would really groove, but they're not on those records. And it's fine, you know, it's, sometimes it, it's okay to have somebody leaning. But uh, yeah, I mean, the way it's more like everybody needs to listen to everybody and everybody needs to not only have good time, but also have an idea of like, you know, what playing with pocket feels like. Ideally, when all the layers drop out, that the way you're moving your shoulders, the way you're moving your head will stay, right? Like the atmosphere and the temperature of the groove shouldn't be affected by the drums being in or out. Uh, in reality, that almost never happens. You know, you need, <laughs> you need to have like some, some deep players to have that happen, but you know, that's the best. I agree. And there's nothing worse than when you go to like a jam session. I have to say a jam session because the people aren't really used to playing with each other and mm -hmm. everything is just clicking. It's flowing. You feel it, especially if you're spectating from the outside. And then all of a sudden a person new comes up in solos and then you just feel it just falling apart. Fall apart. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a... Uh, bassists especially i mean there's a lot there are a lot of bassists in the world right now who think they're playing in time and like have never even been in the zip code of playing in time you know it's it's uh <laughs> I, mean, I, I remember i went to a jam session in chicago and there's this girl bassist and i was just i, I was high yeah. uh, <laughs> listening to it but i just i i remember just just listening to her and thinking like this is a person that's so crazy that like they, 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 she, she dedicated her life probably to playing bass to some extent and she doesn't get what a bass line is supposed to sound like. You know, it's, it's an insane place to be because it's like, you know, there's, listen to Ray Brown or something. They're doing the whole thing. They're doing all the thing, all, like the, the swing groove. Everything is... It's in two seconds, you just get into this place, right? They, they're transmitting the whole music, right? Through their instrument. And that's what you're supposed to do. And it, it, when the, way she, the way this bitch was playing, it was so, so crazy. It's just like, boom, 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 
bum, 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 and just acting like it's okay. I was just, well, she knew just, where guy. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know her background. I just okay. know that like the place she sent me in my mind. Or just, how many people ooh. were? How many other females going to this jam session? Uh, females? Yeah. I don't remember. I just, yeah, okay. I mean, that might be the answer. Probably, you understand? Yeah. If there's no other females there, everyone's going to say how great she is. Yeah, I mean, it's it, listen, and there probably are some ladies who can walk a mean baseline. That that particular one was just oh, terrible. But there's some. It, trust me, we had one yeah. on a few days, ago, I mean, weeks ago. Isabella, Isabella's bad. Yeah, and she's yeah, like no, 22. A, you know, she is good. <laughs> yeah, not not trying to make any sort of sexist point. It was it was her as an individual just sucked. <laughs> <laughs> But the point wasn't even to get into like this one person I saw one time at a jam session. It was that, you know, some people who are deep in this thing and know a lot of tunes and go out to play don't get it. And uh, and it's very important to get it. It's very important to make the music feel like it's supposed to feel because it's there's nothing worse than just going to, to see jazz that doesn't sound like anything. It's like... It's music that's supposed to actually make you move and make you feel things, and yeah, it's, and it's and it's so easy to mess that up, right? Uh, I agree, and that's how should I put it? You said it pretty good already, actually. There's just some people who don't get it, and they dedicate a good amount of their life, good amount of time, and they want to be an artist. We had yeah. someone that came on in one of the earlier episodes, and he pretty much said there are people who try their whole life. And they never get past a certain level. Mm. And when I say they want it, they want it. But yeah, did she, when people kill the whole vibe of jam sessions, that's just something that gets me like, uh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, on the other side of that coin, I mean, I really like, like the kind of jazz I like, you know, it's, um, I'm not super into the modern stuff. Like a lot of the way people are playing these days is way too. You know, even if the time is okay, like the dissonance level can be like very overwhelming for me. You know, obviously I put out a gypsy jazz album that's like, I don't think it could get much more in, you know, it's basically like a style of music before bebop. But, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of like, you know, Charlie Parker and even, I guess I would say up to, you know, Coltrane, Wayne Shorter, people like that. I do, I do dig, but I don't know. I have a theory uh, about wh what's happening lately in New York City. I call it dissonant signaling. Uh, <laughs> go on, go on. You got my attention. So I think that the way things are getting outer and outer is this. You have, uh, you know, people showing up at smalls and they just graduated from college and they went to some sort of band in school and they really liked John Coltrane and Charlie Parker. And they worked out some of those licks. And you know, it's their turn to solo on Cherokee and they can get up there and they're like, and nobody gives a shit. And then the guy after them goes on and starts squawking. And they're going like, and plays real crazy. And all this atonal shit. And everybody there is making stank face, deeper and deeper stank face. I really don't like atonal music, but yes, I agree yeah. on that. And then that poor kid that was into like some nice playing goes home and he was like, hmm, I'm a talented guy. Why don't I do the things that make the stank face? 
And then they figure out what those things are. And then they practice the shit out of them. And they come back to Smalls three months after and they play that out shit. And then another you know, guy that just graduated from school sees them. And this is how New York is getting more and more dissonant with the years. It's just like they go in these basements, see a thing, see the reaction, practice it. And this is dissonant signaling. It's a vicious cycle. Well, then I have to say how many of them actually are still around in the music world? How many what? How many of those people are still in the music world? Oh, they're, well, they're everywhere. They're, they're surviving on grants and scholarships. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> that's basically... My man got jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Listen. the grant situation, I have a problem with. The academia yeah. world, I got a problem with. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, uh, you know... I mean, this is the only lifeline that's kind of left in, in uh, I guess, publicly funded jazz. I mean, it's, what we're doing is totally just being out there, really a part of the jazz machine. They don't, do help, they don't help us in anything. They never have. Uh, like with our band, with the fusion stuff, we would just tour and tour and tour and play and sell, basically sell tickets at the door. I mean, the club would, and we'd get the money from the ticket sales, but we were never going for the, for the, for the beast, you know, like they call, they call the capitalist machine, the beast. And, and it's amazing because the beast likes to, you know, eat you up and then shit you out. And, uh, the, the thing is when you're in the belly of the beast, you, you make a ton of money. You know, so people are just after they get shit out by it, they they want they jump right back in and try to get back into the mouth. You know, <laughs> so because because it's you know, and the and the jazz beast is simple. You know, you see people like that, like uh, that get picked up by it. Some of them become stars, like Kurt Rosenwinkel became a, star, a jazz star temporarily from that. He he had a few rounds, and you know, I don't know now people like. Marquise Hill or, you know, things are, are being really propagated by that. And I mean, what it looks like is you see it, you know, it's just, they get all the festivals basically in a circuit. Those festivals play, play you know, somewhere between five, $5,000 to $15,000 a slot. You know, some Israelis got it like a Natco and got it for like a couple of years. And they take you, you're playing like, you know, Newport and you're playing, and, and things that you cannot contact these people. You know, they don't give a shit. We sold more albums than any of all these people combined, but they don't, they don't care. You know, they don't, it's not about that. It's all, it's mafia money. So you, you take one circuit, you know, through it in a year, you go, you play Newport, they send you to Europe a little bit, you go to Japan, you come back, and now you have $110,000 in the bank. And most people, just the machine, at that point, the beast shat them out and they don't need them anymore, right? So they, they never get to jump back in line. And some people, I don't know, like Esperanza or something, they keep like, you know, taking, eating it back up and taking another round through the belly. So every year they do the same circuit again and again and again because people still want to see that. And, but it's, it's not like the pop machine, you know, you're not going to become a millionaire doing that. You're just going to be, be on the, cover of downbeat that nobody reads or gives a shit about and then you know just go to like you know the other three magazines that are still left while everybody keeps playing more and more out shit and and the only people that care are the seven chinese uh you know audience members in smalls because they don't understand what jazz is anyway 
You heard it from somebody else besides me. That's all I can say, people. <laughs> okay, saying, so this is this is how this is how a music style gets destroyed, right? It's like that's what we're seeing. I mean, who's excited to go to the Chicago Jazz Festival anymore with the kind of whack artists that they bring every year? To be honest, I don't like, even know who the lineup is anymore. Yeah, you know, but, they get like, I mean, I don't know. I, I just I don't get. I don't get it, you know. It's like when you have committees selecting the talent as opposed to people selecting the talent. I'm not a big snarky poppy fan, but at least they had they had fans. Like oh, they, they had people the that, yeah, and they had people that love that shit. And people love that music. That I, I, I'm all about, you know, people who are doing their thing, and have people that care about what they're doing, uh, you know, doing it and and making money and doing it. I'm happy for them, but. When you see people that just like play this avant-garde, like the avant-garde stuff that like just nobody ever cared about, you know what I mean? Like this, I mean, I guess like The Shape of Jazz to Come, there was like at the time, that was a good album. I, I, I dig it. But I mean, 40 years of that, I mean, these people are still getting public money, taxpayer money, and non-for-profits are filling their pocket with dough. Like, why? You know, I just, I, I don't get it. It's, to me, avant-garde, you know, avant-garde people are the equivalent of, like, uh, the homeless of jazz. That's, that's how I, <laughs> that's how I see it. Home, wait, 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 okay, go into that. Go. This is very it's, interesting. It's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the same kind of energy. You know what I mean? Like when you pass by a homeless person, you don't want to look him in the eye because they're going to drag you into their realm of chaos. I feel the same way when I hear somebody playing all these notes. Like it's just, it's pushing that jazz cart. <laughs> it's like, what, what does that mean? Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, what, what, what do you think this means? You know what I mean? And I was at Berkeley. I saw, I saw the whole thing collapsing. I still remember it because if you think about it like uh, jazz school is like chess school, you know what I mean? Uh, then, and you go there to study what players have done and what kind of moves exist. What you really see when you go to an institution now is that there's no, there's no uh, consensus anymore about how the pieces move. And you just have these crazy motherfuckers just taking, some people are playing checkers and some people are just taking the chess pieces and throwing them at each other. That's what these avant-garde dudes are doing. It's like, hey, this is a new game. <laughs> okay, so yeah. what would you change then? I'm, uh, uh, this is actually very, at least to me, it's very interesting. Okay, so what I, would you change? I don't want to. Actually, no, we're going to go back. I just want to know. I don't, so. don't want to be the president of music. I don't want to change I, No, anything. I'm just saying, if they gave you the opportunity, you don't want to answer that one? Okay. They, no, 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 I, I want to answer it. They go, gave okay. me the opportunity. I'm a musician. I'm making the music I think is good. I think everybody should do that too. But, you know, you got, I think if you ask yourself some real questions about what is good, you stand the chance of making some good music. I think that's the only question you need to ask yourself as a creative person, you know. What is your idea of good, right? With, without all the narratives, all the cultural references, just a good melody, a good solo, a good groove. What's your idea of good? Go, you know. And, uh, and I think that's, that's the right mind space to make music from. And if your idea of good is blah, blah, then, you know, then I feel like you're being dishonest. I feel like that's not good and everybody knows it. You know, it's silly to say it, but nobody likes that. You know, go home. Okay. 
<laughs> so just curious now. So you got the homeless people of jazz and they're pushing their cart. And you uh-huh. said if they aspire you into their world. Does that mean if you're performing with them? If you're no listening to that kind of music. I mean, it's uh I think it's bad for you, you know. I, I think it's uh like, you know, your your body is not designed to just deal with ugly shit all day, you know. You you see them like, you know, it's it's like somebody who just watched like Faces of Death for like, you know, 10 years. And then they climb out of their like you know hole, and they're, they're they just look demented. You know they've they've spent too long in dissonance and in ugliness, and it's not good for your body and your soul. It's just like, you know what I mean? Listen to some Louis Armstrong. You need you need to like you're gonna need like fifty years to come down from that. I mean, this is a lot for me, even for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Let's go over In the- other words, I don't like it. No, I fully get that. <laughs> <laughs> and you said that you sold more albums than all these people. I truthfully, I believe you on that because you're always performing. You're performing yeah. in states and locations that the average jazz musician feels they're too good for. Mm-hmm. So, what would you say to them, at least? If they're someone that comes out of Berkeley, wants to tour, isn't getting anything in New York. Mm-hmm. Philly, Chicago, I even throw LA and Miami in there. What would you suggest to them? Um, if you're not getting gigs, uh, well, I mean, I think you need to go and get gigs. You know what I mean? It's like there's no, nobody's going to give you gigs, you know, so you got to book the gigs and you got to figure out you know, a, a way of presenting yourself to whoever books gigs, meaning if that's a, you know, what people used to call a press kit, now it's just having your music and some videos of you available online, a nicely drafted email, a biography, some high resolution pictures. So you need to have the thing to show the person who, is, who can set you up with an opportunity. And the hard part is growing an audience, you know, for what you do. You gotta, you gotta make music that people want to hear and that you want to play and sometimes that's a very hard place to get to you know it's a compromise there are compromises along the way for sure but uh like i mean what i mean by that is that if your idea is that you're going to make the best clavichord music uh known to man that's probably not going to fly right now unless you make something truly unique and exceptional right like that's totally a part of a 17th century world so you know if if you're trying to play i don't know some some nice jazz uh, maybe you maybe it needs to have a little bit more of a twist i don't know but i mean that i think that the thing that we did with touring incessantly uh if you try to do that you will find out whether this life is for you or not you know, you get, you stand a chance to find out um, whether what you think you want is what you actually want. Because for people who haven't toured that, you just don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to, you know, sleep in those conditions, eat the bad food in the beginning, play well, a dream team. Yeah, I'm just asking because, you know, <laughs> you don't like anyone modern. Which, <laughs> yeah. I'm piano, uh, 
Art Tatum or Duke Ellington? Uh, mm, like to play with? He's going to be on your album. We, we somehow got him. Well, like, yes. Who is it going to be? Art Tatum. But I don't know. He plays so much. What am I going to do? Uh, that's why he question. chose him. Yeah. Art Tatum. Art <laughs> There's no Tatum. point of having a guitar player honking. Yeah, that's right. So you're going to go with Art Tatum still? Yeah. Okay. Art Tatum. Art Tatum. I'll take him. We'll train him. Oh, you train Art Tatum. Okay, <laughs> stop, man. On drums. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy Rich. Max Roach. Max Roach. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I love Buddy, but but Max Roach, is, he's just the best. I think Buddy Rich is the best, but okay, on yeah. that, I'm not going to no, argue no, with no. you. <laughs> Buddy Rich is the best, but but Max Roach, like for a band, I don't want somebody to like play like crazy all the time in drums. I can, I can see how it would be tricky with Buddy. I love Max. Okay. Fair. So... <laughs> Can you tell people your social media, where to find you, etc.? Sure, sure. It's uh, marbinmusic.bandcamp.com is where you get all the music, the new album. Facebook.com slash marbinmusic is where you follow us on social media. We have a website. We have our own podcast called Music Real Talk with Marvin if you want to listen there. And um, yeah, that, that should be that. Okay. Well, I must say this was a different type of episode interview I'm, i enjoyed it i'm gonna get a lot of negative hate mail once again thanks a lot danny oh well, you got you got negative one on the other ones uh i always get <laughs> negative ones <laughs> oh I listen man I, I it's just uh you know i i came uh, it's it's weird the you made me realize I really don't listen to anything like past the eighties. I mean, that's is, a problem in rough. itself, but <laughs> I was going to beat you up on that on the air. Okay. Cause once again, the episode's about you. Okay. <laughs> well, did you like the gypsy jazz album? I freaking loved it. I'm not even going to lie. Like I told you before, uh -huh. this album, I wouldn't have listened to if other Danny saxophone, Danny didn't recommend it to me. Cause I'm not really into gypsy jazz. However, uh -huh. I listened to it, and from start to finish, I listened to the whole thing straight, one sit down, <laughs> and it made me late for other stuff. Nice. That's how into nice. it I got. And nice. your solos, amazing. Class. Thank you. Okay. Hey, I appreciate that. Okay, and I want an album signed. Hey, you'll get one. Oh, you're the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good one. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.